Hello and welcome to the Sellerman Podcast. This time I'm speaking to Johnny Cricklemore at Fen Farm Dairy, uh, home of Baron Bygod, beautiful, delicious, raw milk, uh, brie-style cheese from Bungie in Suffolk. Uh, Johnny was kind enough to give me a few hours of his day, gave me a lovely tour of the cheese room, um, and then and then we went for a walk around the farm. Uh, we had a look at some newborn calves, uh, we met the high-yield girls up in the field, we had a walk through the... Uh, through the Fen that, that, that Fen Farm got its name from and, and all under beautiful East Anglian blue skies. It was a really fascinating chat. We covered a lot of ground actually, talking about farming practices, uh, dairy, cheese obviously, um, uh, you know, the flora of, 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 of the pasture. We talked even about veganism and food trends and, and I really enjoyed chatting to Johnny. He's a really great guy. And actually, like all the people I speak to, extremely passionate, not just about what he does, but about food and drink in general. And uh, yeah, it was a really enjoyable conversation. Um, listen out for the, the birds singing in the background. It was a really it was a really great day. Lovely to get out into the countryside, a um, couple of hours outside of London, up into Suffolk, and, and just put the wellies on and go for a walk around the farm with Johnny. Uh, so yeah, I really enjoyed speaking to him. I hope you enjoy listening. Cheers. Already started from raw milk. So we started selling raw milk in 2011. This just really came about, about from me observing like how successful the, uh, our neighbours who have free-range hens, okay. their honesty box, mm. uh, was selling their eggs beside yeah. the road. Yeah. How successful it was, and um, and I thought, well, I, I, I might just do this with milk. Mm. See what happens. It's a bit more high. I mean, now I I parked up by by the the, the farm shop, I suppose, and it's all automated it's amazing it's much yeah. more advanced than you know because an honesty box again you assume it's a box and some eggs you know that's yeah. the idea but with this you've got proper vending machines and you've got raw milk coffee and yeah I mean, it's quite well, you know, thing, innovative really yeah well one thing leads to the next and the 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 honesty box is fine but mm. you know you're always going to get theft sadly and and uh from that we then got this vending machine what dispense milk and mm. um and we ended up well, I, 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 we were sort of really the first people to do this this in the UK, and I think it just ca- caught people's imagination, and 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 it makes you know it makes a nice little bit of money the the, the milk the milk machine, and uh, and other farmers started started coming down and mm-hmm. were interested in what we were doing, and and I kind of the next thing I find myself I'm selling vending machines, so <laughs> I sell I sell vending machines yeah. as well. I I got the. Um, the, uh, the I don't know what the franchise of DF Italia, the okay. uh, milk vending machine yeah. company in Italy, and um, and and so I I look after the UK for if anyone wants to walk Who knew? a vending milk vending <laughs> yeah, machine. Yeah. Um, that's uh, that's off going off on a tangent and a different direction, but it was from from the from the shop and the enjoyment out of doing it and actually making yeah. a decent price from our milk finally that that sent me down a different direction and me and my wife Dulcie we went and looked at other cheesemakers around the UK right uh cheese is what they made and we you know we we like the idea of making cheese because it used all our milk mm. um and um and when I, I I really didn't know much about making cheese at all but it, once I started investigating and visiting other people I actually thought wow this is really fun mm. this looks really this is exciting something interesting to do and learn um, you're using the product which you you know you are the farmer you look after the land you rear the animals you milk them 
and all of a sudden everything seems complete because you've got the milk and then you make that into a product and then you sell it mm. and um, so we kind of got that control over the whole process um, and, uh, and and that just really appealed to me and, and we just got good advice and started making uh, cheese we chose brie uh, raw milk brie style cheese because nobody was making that cheese in the UK mm. um, it came across to me like there was a, a big gap in that sort of area of, of sort of quality brie yeah uh, I mean you there's an awful lot of brie made in the UK which is bad mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah it looks, looks the part but doesn't taste uh, yeah anything. It's, it's white <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um, <laughs> but uh, we wanted to make a cheese which was more like a French brie yeah something with um with with flavor and uh and depth and it's quite its own thing though i think that's what i really like about baron bygod is it is very much its own thing it's got a lot more sort of deep meaty savory notes to it than perhaps like a you know i always find with a traditional sort of breed of mo there's a lot more of the kind of mushroomy kind of fungal thing going on and, and mm. so they're quite distinct like they mm. look similar but they're quite mm. distinct cheeses yeah um, and how long i mean it's only a handful of years that you've yeah. been doing it's not even uh, into double figures is it 2013 so we're yeah wow. f- we're just about yeah we just had our fifth anniversary congratulations that's uh, pretty good yeah, eight, uh, yeah may the 4th so i remember oh, yeah. remember that from star wars yeah, day <laughs> may the fourth there we you. are so right last friday you were celebrating uh, by receiving phone calls from cheese suppliers yeah. and uh, <laughs> driving a tractor yeah, yeah fair enough so uh, so yeah so um so yeah five years now down the line we know an awful lot more about our cheese than we did back mm-hmm. in the early days um understand it much better but uh, we've still got a long way to go. There's still, there's still um, things we want to keep. And how learning. was that transition? I mean, because it, it's so you you grew up here. You grew up on this farm, and it's mm. your parents' farm. Uh, how was the transition for them going from? You know, did you have to persuade them, or was it a bit of a no-brainer? Or um, I think it was harder persuading them about putting the milk shed up. Um, right. And I think it was just the the interest we got from the milk shed. The you know what made my parents realize maybe maybe he was right Mm, right (laughs) Um, we listen to him next time yeah so then the cheese idea came along um i don't think we really understood what we're getting ourselves into um yeah but you go with it don't you um i mean if you if you knew what it would end up being then you would you would probably think a lot more about it (laughs) when you don't realize it's where it's gonna go go. go at it gung-ho yeah so we we um we got a grant and mm. made the old um, 16th century barn into a cheese making facility yeah. next to the milking parlour. Yeah, I've been in there this morning. It's uh, they're, they're hard at it. I mean, you know, the demand is. Yeah. I mean, is what the percentages that have gone up over, like, since last year? Are we, we're quite kind marked. of thirty per- roughly about thirty percent growth on this time last yeah, year. Yeah. Wow. So hence um, the uh, the new the yeah new the setup. new building yeah. yeah. So we you know when you think of we thirty percent forty percent growth each year consecutively yeah. then i don't know all out of the original make space yeah yeah which is i have to say knowing sort of roughly how much cheese you sell and seeing baron bygod seems to pop up all over the place on you know decent cheese boards and you know yeah. in, in good in i good like that sort word of decent cheese boards. well you know <laughs> I, I have my standards <laughs> um, uh, it's quite a modest space mm. uh you know it's amazing what your guys are kind of getting out yeah. of that and yeah. when I say your guys, presumably it was you initially. It's yeah, just yeah, you in there. yeah. I, I, I don't go in as much on a day-to-day basis making cheese now, but I, 
I um, I mean I'm still that's all I think about uh, yeah. I'm thinking about it and I'm tasting it each week and we talk it th- talk it through what we're what we're making and the numbers and all of this but uh, to begin with I I made the cheese I we employed somebody to help milk the cows which I, I did the milking mm-hmm. um, and um, so that allowed me a little bit more time to make cheese so I made 400 litres a week for the first few months yeah um, and 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 I got help from a, a young student and she helped me and there was two of us and then it got to a point where we could actually employ somebody and mm. you know it's just how it goes isn't it yeah um, you know so you know, the cheese had to pay for itself so we tried to after the first year we tried to get some good costings uh, you, you know figures on it to, to, to make sure it was actually making some money and we weren't putting all our hard work into something which was never going to work yeah never yeah, going to work yeah. but it it did I mean there was not really a lot to say in the first year it didn't really you know nothing to sort of uh, but I suppose you'd expect that wouldn't you the first year you're just kind of learning and well it's as much mistakes. getting people knowing that you're there and and, yeah. and actually so Andy Swinsco was a bit a part of that yeah I mean, it seems like Andy's right at the beginning yeah yeah so a- Andy Hamish Johnson and Niels Yardary were mm. our first three customers right and um like andy he he um he was really interested right from the beginning he was interested before we made cheese mm. of what we were going to do right i think um it captured the imagination with like andy and, and neil's yard you know the the length we went to to you know to purchase cheese making cows from france mm. you, you know that we wanted to try and you, you know we really thought about the milk you know if you get the milk right you know that it's going to make you good cheese mm-hmm. even if you can't make good cheese to begin with it's yeah. still going to be you're still going to be half the way there you can't make, make you know good good cheese yeah. with crap milk no basically. no exactly yeah. you can be the best cheese maker yeah, in the world exactly. but it's difficult but it's to that make thing it. isn't it of controlling the whole chain i think that you know that all, mm. all, you know with a bit of knowledge and, and know-how and, and kind of you know, graft basically controlling the whole chain seems to be the way forward of making mm. really i think with cheese. raw milk cheese yeah it, it, it is a must really to especially your soft cheese as well mm. this is a higher risk cheese yeah it, it has to be uh you know it's got a bit well it's possible but it it's a lot it's a lot more of a safer place to be being the producer here goes yeah, the right. phone again there it is so um you, you know being the being the producer um the, the farmer and the producer of the cheese uh you've got the control so for an example our staph aureus levels um, which is a nasty sort of thing which you don't want in your cheese uh, you know you're always going to get low levels of that with yeah. cheese um, that started to um, increase um, it was still fine but I noticed it was starting to increase increase the levels so I I thought well this is not good I don't want the direction this is taking us so I went through all of my records of my cows I picked out cows which are likely candidates to be carrying yeah. um, uh, Staph aureus, um, you know, in their udders, and um, we tested them individually. I then came back with eight cows which all had Staph aureus. Mm-hmm. Um, I then culled those cows out. Right. So I, I was, you know, but to say that to a farmer, you're buying milk off. Oh, by the way, yeah, can I know I'm only buying like five percent of your milk production, but would you mind like? Yeah, sure. Sh- shooting those eight cows. Yeah, um, you know it's not a, such an easy thing to, no. to to do. But I could see that for me to progress and go with you know where we wanted to go with the cheese, that those kind of things are a must. That you have to keep the health of your herd good, um, right? And uh, you know that that's um, so important. So 
um, uh, because we haven't got pasteurizer. No. Pasteurizer is a way of making your milk safe. Yeah. We, um, in some ways, it's an, it's an excuse to like not look after the everything else, all the other steps. Right, sta- because you can just stand, you can, you can just can stamp get away on any it. problems yeah, at that you point got, and like, don't some, worry about it. Yeah, so your milk's not, yeah. you know, your milk potentially might not be very good. But for your producers who are buying the milk in, it, it means that they know categorically that what they're getting is consistent in that regard because they're pasteurising it. So mm. that's, I mean, I wonder if there's a correlation actually between yeah, the I, two. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it makes it makes life easier to manage mm. for sure. Uh, and there's some great cheeses which are pasteurised out there. I yeah. mean... I think what's interesting as well is it's not just the challenges on the farm that you guys have come up against in fairly recent times because mm. there's been a bit of a... Uh, I mean, last time I chatted to you, we talked briefly about, you know, the fact that actually there's a level of misunderstanding around this style of farming, around dairy farming, mm. and, and actually quite a lot of vitriol out there being thrown your way when actually yeah. what you're trying to do is be as responsible and, yeah. you know, yeah. um, humane, I suppose, Absolutely. as possible. I mean, yeah. how was that? How How... How did that come about? What, what was sort of like the vegan onslaught? The onslaught, uh, yeah. yeah. I think we were picked on because no, didn't we, we didn't do anything particularly different to any other farmer. But um, we, we uh, being using social media a lot more, it's easy to yeah, find right. us. Um, you know, if you're searching the web, um, you know, for, for for farmers, dairy farmers, and dairy farmers seem to be getting a lot of um, stick just lately from vegan activists. Do you think that's off the back of the image of the American way of approaching things? Partly, I, I think. Sort of connected uh, yeah. the two, or I, I think the there two. is some of that. Um, I think that you know, not every farming practice is the same, and British standards. So I, I, you know, after visiting other countries and seeing farming, dairy farming, I've got no doubt about it. You know, we're really high standards in, um, you, you know, in, in the world for the dairy industry is, um, it's right up the top. So. Um, so there is some of that, you know. That is the unfortunate thing about social media. It, it ha- it's this bring it's this thing which has been created over the last few years, really. Mm. And we're still, we're all still starting to, we're only now starting to realise the sort of the the power of what it has mm. and, and the effects what it has, both positive and negative. Absolutely, you know, because I, yeah. You know, we're, we're out in the beautiful fields in 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 you know Suffolk in the wilds of Suffolk if you like mm. and actually you're you know Fen Farm is a really strong presence on mm. online and for people all over the world who are into cheese yeah and you know I think you get an insight into what you do and the passion for that you have for what you do so that's the positive side of it but obviously as you say you're much easier to find for people yeah. who want you know are looking for a Look find negative basically. things yeah yeah absolutely yeah no it, it works both ways yeah there's you but it's easy to forget the good stuff isn't it yeah of course um and, and well particularly and when it's getting at you, you yeah personally yeah, it's, yeah. it's not it's yeah but but yeah uh, from the back of all, all, all of that what we what we sort of you know uh was thrown at us back in february and there's some really horrible comments thrown at us um all you know things which were um were not accurate um i'm not saying not untrue because there's no doubt about it we kill our cows and we kill our animals and we eat them mm. um you know they sound strong words but that's reality that's what mm. we do mm. and i think that's where, where i see the this this education sort of this lack of education in food and farming mm. and i think i think we as humans we'd like to tr- we don't like seeing animals killed we don't we like to have eat chicken yeah. we like to empathy eat, 
yeah, yeah. We, don't, we don't want to know about that bit no. we want to hide that bit we don't yeah. if we don't think about it it'll be all right it's like thinking about all the people who are starving in the world you know you know if we as don't as like over there yeah it's yeah, all right. right you know mm. we don't think about it but it's mm. not you know but maybe we should mm. you know think a little bit more about this stuff and and i and i think uh, i i think where where we we desperately need to try to um uh be more involved uh, the school children need to be more involved in farming yeah. and understand about it better mm. uh, you know children need to be need you know if they if they're shown what happens with animals from an early age they kind of i don't know if word hardened to it but they you know to, but it's just it's just knowing that the the meat you're eating was an animal it was alive and and you're eating something which you, you know was was reared and slaughtered and uh but argu- arguably i don't know if har- i i would take issue with the word hardened actually because i think in my opinion i think probably what it would do is is actually just raise awareness in a more general sense not just that you know for, for you to have that lovely roast chicken a chicken has to die mm. well what happens before that you know if people are engaged with the idea that what they're eating is an animal then actually they will get more interested in what happens to that animal before it because you know some people will stop eating meat but a lot of people won't no no and actually there is a trend towards people wanting to understand how the farm works how all that works and you know and so actually what that will do is people like you hopefully will benefit from that because you are farming in a responsible manner but the people who aren't will be you know taken to task and might have to change their approach yeah yeah to the good i think um i think yeah this is this is a very good good point that you know if you understand you know the the background of those animals you know and and there's this chicken and this chicken you know Mm. this chicken wants like 3.99 bargain bucket or there's a you know 20 pound chicken which you put in the oven and yeah for the f- family roast and it's expensive bit of meat you know there's a reason why it's but that expensive. also might you know again there's health i think it's a, I, so i think veganism and vegetarianism is a really interesting food because it is a food trend at the moment yeah. particularly veganism yeah and there's a lot of arguably health benefits to it and things like that but i think that with with more respect for where meat comes from i think people will buy meat less but when they do buy it they'll buy a good quality piece yeah. That, yeah. that's come from a good place absolutely and they enjoy it more and it's not just part of your day-to-day bit of rubbish ham from yeah you know supermarket it's it's, it's decent Ab- and, absolutely and I, that's the way forward i think i think that's i i think that's a, a a good way of looking at it and going into the future that we you know we should respect our food a bit more and mm. and um and uh, you know because we're going to get to a point where there's going to be a lot of mouths to feed in the world and right. and the you know throwing something like 40 percent of our food away it's, it's mm. just crazy mm. so by uh, you know we probably don't need to eat as much meat as we do and uh, you know and pig out as much as we do and that kind of thing and but yeah just thinking about where yeah. the product comes from making sure the animal had a good life um all of those things are really important but it's just how do you get about getting that through to right to to to, to the masses i suppose yeah. Um, well, I think part of it is making a delicious product. And actually, if you've got a really tasty cheese that people want to eat, then inevitably they're going to become curious about all the other stuff that goes around that, that cheese. And, I, you know, I think that's happening perhaps in a, perhaps the higher end of food. Mm. But if that can kind of, if that ethos can bleed down a little bit, it's all to the good I yeah mean, i think but i do think the key is that what you have is a really really great cheese mm. that sits well on any cheese board and that people enjoy all over the place and that you know i think that 
everything else sort of circles around that. Yeah, and it yeah. Seems to be the right way around. You know. Yeah, I, mean? I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've always got a nice bit of cheese waiting for you on the kitchen <laughs> table, which is a bonus. I know. I spend most of my most of my spare time eating cheese now. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, All for scientific purposes, oh, just yeah, to of make course. sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. The, the the farm is quite quite um quite quiet at the moment. Okay. There's not many animals about. There's a few calves kicking around still, mm-hmm. the little ones, but they'll shortly be going out as well. But most of the animals are all out in the fields. Um, well, the weather's turned, it feels. It's yeah, it feels like finally uh, spring is here. Yeah. Um, it's actually it's very close to summer, even though yeah. it feels like spring has only yeah, just yeah. started. It's been such a strange year. You know, yeah. you think about the snow in March, and, and then for us, we've flooded like three times. Yeah. Well, it felt got quite sort of... Um, felt weirdly nostalgic that's so sort of temperatures in april i i can't i don't know i had little flashbacks to kind of being a kid being freezing cold yeah. in april yeah i know and actually last few years it's not been anything like that so no. we're walking out what well, we're heading out onto the marshes now aren't we it's really yeah. flat yeah yeah and really damp you can just see the, uh, the the draining of the muck heap because of the amount yeah. of rain we've had if you wonder what that mucky mess Slurry. is there yeah yeah so um um, yeah, we're walking out onto Stow Fen, which is the where the name of our farm comes from, Fen Farm. Yeah. Um, How do you define a fen? Um, yeah, good question. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'll look it up I, and pop it in at the end. I, it's something <laughs> to do with low-lying lands. I mean, the right. fens of like Cambridge and Norfolk. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That that is like where we all think of the fens. But yeah. This is a fen for some reason or another. It's been called Stow Fen for probably centuries, and um, and we are the um, we're, we're the farmers at present. What look after this yeah. land? Um, and what we've done over the last few years is we've put in uh, roadways. So you can see we're now walking on a sleeper, concrete sleeper yeah. roadway. And this has got we've uh, we laid four and a half thousand of these sleepers. Wow! So our cows could walk out onto the paddocks when the when the when the conditions of the grass are a little bit damp and stuff. You imagine? Yeah. Um, yeah. When you work out the amount of cows' feet yeah. walking four times a day, it's about six, eight thousand feet. Yeah, that it would you soon make a roadway quite muddy. So yeah, right. We put these little roadways in. Uh, we paddock up all of the all of the marsh. Yeah, into sections. So um, what we're trying to do is we're we're you know we're trying to get the cows to give um, good milk and uh, keep bo- good body condition and timing the size of the gr- uh, the the height of the grass is crucial. So just over to our left, you see this yep. is what the cows are going to go into tonight. Right. Um, and that, that's the height of the grass where the quality is going to be at its highest. So and it's quite diverse in terms of the actual uh, flora in there. There's, you know, there's quite a range of yeah, different well, things. Well, it's well, not you, just the... Well, you, you'll see at di- different times of the year different things. Yeah. I mean, it's mostly grass, but you, sure. you've got, at the moment you've got buttercups out. Yeah. We're now starting to see the watercress coming through along right. the side. The cows love love water. Do you, do you do you get any attract? Is there any difference in the milk in terms of the watercress? It's quite a strong yeah, flavour. Yeah, I don't think they probably eat enough of it. No, okay. But but, but it, it would. It, there is things what do t- taint or flavour milk. So yeah. like wild garlic. If cows eat wild right. garlic, that's a that's a yeah. real potent one. Um, uh, chick ch- uh, chicory. Okay. Um, that's another thing which makes milk taste strong. Uh, apple pomace. Um, you know, very you know, waste sort of food products like apple pomace. Yeah, right. Those kind of things all have effect on the flavour of the milk. Um, but but that stuff down there is pretty um, pretty hot, pretty punchy. Yeah, yeah, Lovely. yeah. It's really um, 
peppery. Um, I feel like I've really lucked out today. Actually, it's just glorious out. Yeah, it really it's is nice, lovely. Isn't it? I do. I May is my favourite month of the yeah. year. By the time you get to end of May, and then everything is green. Yeah. And lush green, you know. It's yeah. Rich green. Yeah, you've not had that kind of fade that starts to happen over the summer. Yeah, once you get into July, yeah. August, it starts to lose that. No, exactly. That sort of the the, the lushness of it all. And you can probably hear in the microphone as well that other thing that I associate with uh, East Anglia is the wind. Like it's just oh, yeah. Because I, when I was a kid, we lived just outside Bury St Edmunds, actually. Oh, right. Oh, you're not and, that uh, far. Not that far at all. And um, a little place called Clare. Oh, and right. uh, I just remember the, the wind. Because like, I well, then we moved down to Kent and everything's a little bit more hilly and protected yeah, yeah, than yeah. actually here. It's, it's just when flat. the wind starts, that's it. There's nothing in the way. Yeah. It's a few villages, but... Yeah, you, it is a very flat part. Yeah. Um, and also, we're, we're in the, the this little valley. Um, I don't know whether you call it a valley wave. I suppose it would be, but it's it's where the ice age, you know, um, shaped the shaped the, uh, the you know what we see is the floodplains. Right. So there would have been the, the where the water, you know, the edge of the water and all yeah. the and this is the same on the Norfolk side, which we're now going to go over to. You've got the banks on the Suffolk side, banks on the yeah. Norfolk side, yeah. and the Waveney Valley. When you look down at it, and on presumably your, on your the, the, the soil is incredibly rich here. If it's all kind of like river valley silt, it, it must be. Yeah, it's well. Actually, what you find with what we have here is the way the river is churned up. There's different types of soils all over the place. It's okay. not like one, like. So it's like, bringing it from the whole channel. Yeah, it's just like there'd be places where um, there's places where. Uh, Sorry, sorry. Right. I keep forgetting to put it on silent. Um, <laughs> That's all staying in, you know. It <laughs> just gives the indication of quite how busy you guys are. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, that's the. This is the high group. The high group. The high group. Yeah. So that doesn't mean like they're tall, but uh, they're high yielding. Is the word why right. we use the word high? So it's high and low. Let's keep walking this way, Sam. I don't want to stand near the gate because they'll think they're coming up from okay. nothing. Yeah. So if you walk away from them. So what are these little tags we're seeing on, on kind of uh, collars? Um, this is about um, catching their their heat. Um, right. So if uh, this this group is right at the stage where we're now breeding them. Okay. Um, so the collar, um, the thing what hangs underneath the collar, yeah. um, that when the cow moves around, that picks up all the movement. Okay. And a cow will tend to do the same thing every day. Um, they like to do the same thing every day if they so can. So they've got a, a sort of a routine that they stick to. Yeah, okay. yeah, and they and and but every every twenty one days they come on heat again, and um, and when they come on heat they they tend to act differently. They right. start trying to jump on cows and walking around a lot more. So you're um, looking at variations in their pattern. Yeah, and that thing will pick that up, and and it's very clever because it, if it picks up one heat. When it comes around to about 20, 21 days, the next time it is almost waiting for it to happen again. So it get the more it, it's on the cow, mm-hmm. the more it works out the individual cow's routine. Wow! So, um, but it, it just helps us get cows back in calf, and uh, once they're in calf, we take them off. We ha- uh, have a, a guy come around and scan them so we can see if there's a calf inside. Yeah. Uh, after about thirty days from the last. Um, the last um you know bullying mm-hmm. um that's what happens we scan them all see who's in calf um then we start planning about their calving day and all of the rest of it when we're going to stop milking them and you know like uh, like i said earlier we 
give them two months um, no milking time mm-hmm. where they just go off and, and chill out in the field ready for their you know if you imagine like a, a lady would be pregnant the last sort of couple of months is quite heavy isn't yeah, it yeah yeah it's the same with these girls they don't want to be walking around a lot no so so they're finishing off their maternity leave and that's right yeah like that kind of thing yeah, yeah good um so um so yeah it's nice to see them out here isn't it yeah well it, i mean it must be really as well because that you know if you, the weather's been bad you're just keeping them in you know they're, they're very happy yeah and they're getting stuck into that grass. I mean, you can hear it. You can surely hear it on the... Yeah. I might just hold the microphone a bit closer, actually, because you can hear the... Yeah, you can hear them cropping there. Look at, listen to that. I mean, they're, they're machines, really, aren't they? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, they're spun- if you notice, they eat all under the wire. Yeah, the, wire, <laughs> yeah. the wire's electric if they yeah, yeah. get shot. Um, but they cleverly just shut, put, get get as much out of it as they can. Well, my father always says it's because cows are, always want the grass on the other side. Right. So they always, they're always trying to steal it from the other side. Okay. But I don't think he's right. I think the reason they eat it under there is because they don't walk on it. Because uh. if you, if you like, today's not so bad. They're yeah. clean. Their feet are clean. Yeah. But they're really sensitive to a smell. Okay. So imagine a slightly wetter day, mm. a little bit of soil comes off and, and they stand o- over the right. grass with it. They don't want to eat that so much. No. Imagine they put the foot in the, uh, in the cow poo and then, uh, then walk around with that cow poo over. Yeah, yeah. They're, not gonna, they're just not going to eat it. They'll just go hungry. Okay. You know, like, well, it'll probably be the same with me and you. you know, well, yeah, nobody, you wants, to, no one wants to tread on you your dinner. To, you get to a point where you, you, uh, you think, well, actually, I'm gonna, I'd rather not eat. So is that a challenge then, presumably, with the lower-lying kind of this, this sort of floodplain, is the dampness? Yeah, it is really challenging. I look at other farms and I think, wow, you're so lucky having these fields that never flood. And yeah. You know, I'd love to keep our cows out here as much of the year as possible, but you know, you only so much you can do with the with the conditions. Of course, but you know, you have to make the most of what you've got. And we're um, today, you might have seen there was a big tractor and spreader out there, and, the, and we're putting lime on the on some of the paddocks. Okay. So we te- test the soils each year and uh, see if it needs if it requires anything adding to it. Right. So well, I was going to ask because we were talking about the health of the cows, but of course the the, the milk quality it's, starts, it's all with, starts the with the soil. Yeah. So, you know, it's the it's the soil has to be right. It's the right sort of soil for grass to grow on because mm-hmm. grass won't grow on all soils, and. Um, it's making sure that the organic matter is right in there. You know, we, we add muck back to all our yeah. land. Um, we have clover in our mixes to try and put yeah. um, nitrogen back into the soil. And all, all of those things are really important. You need the worms in there. You need the, the, the fungi and all yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you need all of those kind yeah. of things doing their part. And then from the back of that, then you get good grass. Yeah. And, and, and hopefully, you know, what you're trying to achieve is varied, you know, different species of grass and different plants you know you want plants what the cows are going to like to eat and yeah and all of that just adds that uniqueness to your 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 product it all ends up you know and that's one of the things i learned when i when we went to buy the the montbelliards from france and i looked at the the fields and the pastures what those montbelliards were were, were grazing on and the you know the the different um different species of plant what was in there and, I, and you, then you think well you know why is Comte so unique right you know Comte has got this unique f- taste which you can't seem to find that alpine mm. you know Gruyere Comte those kind of cheeses just can't sort of replicate them and I think that's a lot down to what those cows eat um, 
you know it's quite interesting something just sprung into my head when you were talking about all that kind of biodiversity in the soil and in the pasture is it's something that seems to have kind of uh, kind of attached itself to the raw milk movement is uh sort of a healthy eating ethos i remember working in working the retail side of things you'd have people coming in that wanted raw milk cheese not because of all the things that we've talked about like flavor and you know just just sort of complexity Mm. but because it's healthier it's actually better for you so you know you're talking about the biodiversity in 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 the fields and Mm. actually these people are coming in and talking about their the biodiversity in their gut yeah and so this is kind of like everybody just wants a more kind of complex diverse approach along all the way along yeah, the yeah. chain uh, I know, think beyond I, the table I totally agree and I think that's a lot of what you know about the, all of these allergies what we have nowadays yeah. I, I, I believe it's coming from overly processed food a lot of it is I think we're not meant to you know we're not meant to eat all of the weird stuff what we we add in you know ingredients we add into into things we, we, we buy in the supermarket um, you know and, and the more you can get back to your, your basic foods and uh, you know I, I think um you know, we'll be a lot better for it. I can't believe that, you know, those weird E numbers and things are things what are going to do you good. No. Um, but No, well, I think people have caught on to the E numbers thing. But yeah, uh, well, we... Delete them. Yeah, but that sort of over-processed stuff, you, you know, like, the more I learn about milk and, and there's so many so many things what will influence it and change it yeah. and, and, and in the wrong way as well, you know, like, homogenization is really, really bad thing for for the for the milk it, it it will smash up your 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 fats and and the fats which would never normally be absorbed in or or, or digested in your body are then digested mm. they would normally the, this part of the fat is there to help um the calf pass the solids through its system right it's, it's, so it's there, just there as help. a lubricant it's yeah it's almost as a lubricant and that's that's all that was all its purpose you know you don't think like milk is purely just to to uh just for to filling you up it does a lot more than that you know it's it's the most you know probably the most amazing food what uh we're ever going to have because it, you know it's the thing which starts us off in life and sets us up for you know for a hopefully a healthy life but um you know it's an incredible uh incredible food um it's it's uh one of only two superfoods so you've got eggs and you've got milk and when you think about them both of them at the same place where yeah. when they would normally you know the chick uh, grows inside the egg and the milk yeah. is uh, you know suckled on the you know the, the, the baby suckles the milk from the mother um, and um, yeah we as humans have uh, worked out these clever things and uh, took advantage of it and thank goodness we decided how to we preserve that milk yeah. by making cheese absolutely you know, it's you the know, best way what a great story when you think about it I love that's why I love cheese so much it's just the it's just the uh, the amazingness of all of the why things became what they were. Well, you know? quite. It's all quite. supposition, isn't yeah, it? Really, you know, like the soft cheeses were from northern France, and yeah. the hard cheeses were up in the mountains, and there weren't that wasn't done for because they like brie. No, <laughs> it no, was it's done because they could yeah. get away with eating soft cheese, yeah. where the ones in the mountains couldn't. Well, Andy was talking about uh, Sandy Swinsco again, talking about um, trying a hundred-year-old Parmesan. Oh wow! And he said it was horrible. Yeah, you know it was disgusting to <laughs> it eat. Still it smelled terrible. However, how did he... all the minerals and nutrients and all the the good things for you that is in the milk, yeah, are still there in that cheese. Yeah. So actually, as a you know, 
kind of doesn't if what you need are those minerals and nutrients and things like that then that's an amazing product mm. obviously the flavor is terrible but it's not going to do you any harm in fact it'll do you good i just think that's incredible that you you know these are some cows that were milked 100 years ago and that milk's gone into making wow. a cheese and and you know there's a Andy trying it 100 years later. Wow. I mean, that's incredible. I'd hate to think what price per kilogram that stuff well, was. Well, quite. For. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine he was getting a lot of it. No. But you're a. Uh, is it, I mean, is it alright to talk about the, ex- the the experiment of aging a baron? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well. Because um, I know there's a bit of a reveal at the end of uh, this month. Oh, yeah. We're, we're, um, we're, we're just at, for, for Patrick, Patrick McGuigan and the London Cheese Project, yeah. we're experimented with just three large barren bygods um just aging them on a bit more yeah and patrick came up with this idea back in december um and that's when i i kept three december cheeses back so we've got barren bygod which will be one two three four five months old so so it's um double its age um and a bit more (laughs) and um and it's what what we're doing is we're we're uh we're kind of making the brie noir, yeah, um, but baron noir, yeah, black baron, as yeah. we're calling it. It's an it. acquired. T- I mean, I've tried the brie noir, and it is. Uh, I can understand why you have to have it with strong coffee, because <laughs> it kind of the strong coffee sort of squashes the ammonia. Okay, and actually, you get. I found because the bitterness in the coffee kind of contrasts with the sweet. There's actually quite a lot of sweetness. All oh, right. Okay. Um, but the the texture of it was really. It was like um, like like brittle, like almost like toffee, not quite as hard, but a little bit oh, like, right. like brittle. Okay. How um, old was that cheese? Do you know, I can't remember. It's a few yeah. years ago I don't, now. I don't. I don't. It was really I'm, interesting. I'm keeping one cheese back of the three I've I've kept. I'm keeping one back to mature on for a year. Yeah. See where we where we get to. Yeah. But uh, it's a really interesting idea because it you know, and I think it's quite a specific. Thing. I mean, I don't. Yeah, it's not I don't, widespread in France. No, I, I can't see we're going to make our fortunes on on Black Baron, but uh, no. But I mean, these are not these are these are the sort of side projects that, yeah. that keep you interested. And uh, yeah, who knows? There might yeah. be some quirky deli in in uh, I don't know some part of London. What might yeah, probably somewhere in Stoke Newington. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. take it off your hands. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. We're getting stared at. I know. We're getting. Uh, it's quite intense. They're funny old things, aren't they? You yeah. can't tell whether they're smiling or sad or anything. They just. <laughs> There's no, no expression, is it? Uh, they look healthy, though. That's yeah. the main thing. And actually, these are the thinner group, the other group, which uh, you can see just in the distance over near that um, old building there. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's where the other group are. They're, they're the autumn carving group, and they've got a little bit more condition. They're a bit more chubbier. Okay. They tend to... It's always the way where you have a calf, you you know, no different to any, any um, female. You lose a bit of weight... Yeah, in the first stages, and then once the once you sort of get over that, probably the first couple of months, then mm. you put it back on again. And certainly, once these girls are all pregnant, and some of these will be pregnant now, um, but they're they're getting pregnant, um, right? As you know, as soon as they. And is get, that do you put a bull in with them, or do you inseminate, or what's we the inseminate the first two ty- the t- first two heats. So the first six weeks we'll inseminate, mm-hmm. and we're trying to put the best bulls, what we find the best bulls in the world, and that's the the thing about. In artificial insemination, you can take semen from a bull, um, like one bull, which is like you know, he's got everything good about him. So he leaves easy cows, easy calving cows. Um, his health, you know, the her, his health is really good, and yeah. um, you know, he's got everything. Yeah, what you want to have a child from? Yeah, right. Um, a calf from, and uh, Oxford educated. Yeah, yeah. Kind of or the French equivalent to Oxford, yeah, right. um, yeah, the Sorbonne. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah so, uh, so you know, 
yeah, we're cle yeah, clever and intelligent father. Yeah. And then we, we inseminate all the cows. Right. So we wait till the cow comes on heat. That's what these heat timer things yeah. are for. Yeah. So it picks up when the cow is uh, ready to be, uh, you know, re ready to, to be bred. Right. Um, so to whatever beliefs people have about way uh, uh, insemination is, is done, it's, you know, it's only done when the cow wants to um, be impregnated. Yeah. So the only difference is uh, we do it with a rod rather than a, a bull jumping on the cow's back. Mm. Um, but uh, but but in doing so, you also have bulls which you are proven. You can ha you can have a bull. You can bring a bull on your farm, and first of all, it might bring disease onto your farm. It might have right. something sexually transmitted disease, which they do. Wow. Um, that's not good. But the biggest concern for us is if you bring a bull onto your farm to breed with your cows and then all of your cows have huge calves so some bulls leave big calves mm. so that means that's that's the worst thing what could ever happen to your herd is you they all calve with big calves because they all have a really really hard time of it you then end up doing c-sections yeah and so that two-month recovery period is yeah, it's longer, longer and you yeah. then you don't get them in calf again no. and then they end up getting sold so right we don't want to sell cows we want them to stay here as long as they yeah, can yeah. so so you know all of that is um reasons why we ai but we ai for two two times and then the third time we have a easy carving hereford bull okay and um harold um he comes in harold and uh he travels around the country does he, does he, is that his no no he definitely does no traveling he's in there okay. with the, he's in oh, the yard okay. in the okay. shed at the moment so okay. biding his time so he uh, lives on the farm yeah yeah right okay yeah so he's uh, you know at the moment on a diet and um <laughs> he hasn't worked he doesn't work very hard. No. Um, he only works hard on three weeks, twice a year. Yeah, okay. That's all he does. <laughs> but um, but we bring him in, and uh, he does his business, and uh, yeah. and um, you know, and uh, and that's and that's that's what happens. So yeah. And is this so? We're kind of in a sort of a, it's almost like a hollow. It's I mean, it's a valley. It feels mm. round from where we mm. are, but obviously it's not. Mm. And so I'm assuming, is this all, all of these fields, is that part of Fen Farm, is that...? Um, yeah, yeah, as, as far as, as you can, can see, see the tractor right in the distance down there, Sam. Can you see yes, it? Yes, yeah, yeah. That's, we're making hay over there. Okay. Um, and then we've, my father is over there making the bales, can you see them? Yeah, yeah. Um, so these are paddocks which um, the grass got too long. Yeah, right. Um, interestingly, they're the end paddocks. We do that on purpose because if we're going to leave any grass to make into you know silage or hay we always pick the ones what the cow cows are that's the travel to yeah yeah, yeah so, right so that's both ends uh we're we're, we're we're um we're bailing up today yeah um and that's where the cows graze all of all of that all of that yeah just behind my father in the in the tractor there is bungy yeah um our, our fantastic little town um and that's what we name our butter off yeah. after so our butter was um in the center of bungy You've got uh, Bungie Buttercross, um, and um, and uh, the Buttercross, like several other Buttercrosses, which I learnt later, after you know putting the, this Buttercross on our little box where we sell our butter. Um, there's Buttercrosses around the UK, other than our one. Right. So, I'd like. Um, so tell me about the but. What is a Buttercross? I've not it's come a place across where it. you sell butter. And that's it. It's a, like a market or yeah. A, but right. I, I don't know what it was called, the Buttercross, and okay. all I can find up on it when I've looked is that, you know, once butter was sold under the Buttercross, yeah. and the same with other Buttercrosses around the country. Okay. So it's a symbol or, a, or it's a structure which people 
associate butter with mm. um and um you know butter um i suppose when you think about it it's that sort of it's a it's really the top quality bit of you know if you're having to take the cream the best bit yeah, of right. the milk then when you think back to 300 years if you had butter it would be a luxury wouldn't mm-hmm. it you know you're going to have to you, you separated that milk to to get this one this this small part of the the, the cream and then half of the cream becomes only half of the cream becomes butter so you're putting a lot of work into just to have this yeah right so um that's why butter should be more expensive than it is yes yeah well, well it's a challenge isn't it with the, the top top end of butter is, is i think mm. yeah again it's perception though isn't it yeah. it's dealing with perception in terms i of i think my, i'm going to make a prediction okay that within three years this is on the record yeah butter will be a lot more expensive all round than all round. it is because the demand of butter is going to grow and grow and there is just only so much butter yeah and um and I, I know our butter is expensive, and I, I don't make very little out of it. And that's because we, there's so much milk has to go into making butter. Mm. And, and as butter is becoming more popular again, you know, once upon a time, butter was looked at as a byproduct, a waste product. What do we do with all this cream? Nobody wants it. But now it's, it's, everything's changed. People are going away from margarines, going back to butter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, margarine is dying a dying us you know satisfying death um <laughs> and um and 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 everyone's eating butter again yeah. and there's no you, you know it there's i can't see how it will keep the price will keep low mm. because when you work out the cost of butter it would never it, you know they must make a loss on the butter and use it as as a as a waste product as, right you but know, if you're actually milking specifically to make butter butter it's very expensive yeah and i and i think that will catch up right and i think you will find that butter it is going up and i don't think it'll ever come down again it's another interesting way of preserving milk of course as well yeah absolutely yeah so like the butter what we make is is cultured butter so when you think back in the day how would you say as cheese how would you preserve the cream the cream is the first thing what goes off on Mm. milk well that's what i find it's it's the thing which taints the quickest so for to 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 hold you know to to preserve your cream and preserve your uh butter for mm. longer you would acidify it so you'd um allow the lactic bacteria to to grow in there quickly and so back in the day it would be simply just a case of taking a spoonful of the of the soured cream yeah. and putting it in the new cream and the, and then it just passes yeah. it passes on like a sourdough yeah that's yeah. it similar sort of way and 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 then that cream would then be preserved uh and then if you make it into butter you're taking all the moisture out of it right so butter is about 84 percent dry matter so butter lasts it lasts for a long long time yeah the more salt you add to it obviously the longer it lasts still sure so um that's how you know it's interesting when you think about it but what we're what we're doing we make butter um using culture cultures uh you know uh lactobacteria sour cream um and it's raw so there would have never been pasteurized uh butter there would have been never been um you know sweet cream butter back in the day if it would have been sweet cream it would have been eaten straight away Mm. um and that's why people say oh my god your butter tastes like how i remember when i was a child Hmm. and it probably was because that's the last time you had actually eaten butter like that yeah yeah so um but uh it's amazing how the Nor- in Normandy and they still keep that that uh, they kept that tradition going mm. and, and they still um, make raw raw um, soured cream butter over in Normandy. Uh, 
I do have respect for the French for sticking to their guns and and with their food. So so, yeah, you know they so. Um, you know, well, well, tradition, and uh, but in a sense, conservative with a small C as well. I mean, there's, I'd, you know, arguably a lot more innovation happening in this country, mm. you know, perhaps. But yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the heritage is. Yeah, there's a lot of things France. going on here because we've got yeah. this revival, haven't we, with the, 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 with foods and and you know, all of a sudden, like Britain is now famous for, you know, being uh, creating great food. Yeah, again, well, great and, produce. I mean, it's in a way, I think it, it almost. I feel like it almost started with the restaurant scene, but actually, people have realised that. The restaurant scene kicked off because actually there's really brilliant producers, producers in the UK. out there. Yeah, you know that's the key. I mean, and how exciting that is because I think this is where the difference between the UK and France is that France um, kept its tradition and mm. kept its small yes. businesses, whereas the UK completely like We're sort went of away from them. It a bit. We're rediscovering them, and yeah. we've got all of these small innovative businesses which are now starting up and pushing the pushing the boundaries well finding ways to make those things work i suppose in the mar- you know in the marketplace mm. that's the that's the innovation in a sense isn't it is that yeah and, and and but but then france is um it's got big and clumsy with its quality mm. the, the quality products which isn't known for for so many years they've all kind of become big companies now yeah right and they can't they can't get that they're too big to to be able to well, to diversify yeah, and, and get their sort of this, you know, the small uniqueness of yeah. businesses like ours, they can't do that because they're buying in milk and, you know, and bringing it, pulling it, yeah. lots and lots of farms, and you know, it's not just milk, but you know, that they're, they're um, yeah, they're like uh, artisan products gone huge. Yeah, it's, sure that's it, what's interesting about it is that, that you know, you'll get an amazing, you know, let's say delicious epoise, and and it will be, it will taste. You know, like that real attention to detail that, yeah. that that kind of artisan approach has, but it's actually been made in quite a large factory. I know in Burgundy, and and you know, but so it's, it's, of it's sort of expanding, through. but also retaining that level of quality, which I guess kind of rather neatly brings us round to what sort of moving forward with Fen Farm mm. is about. Because I mean, when when I when I turned up uh, this morning. We had a brief tour of the of the labyrinth of the, yeah. of the new cheese making facility, which is what four times bigger than the one you're in now. Yeah, it's somewhere in that area. Yeah, so um, I, I I don't think there's any fear of us becoming this, um, you know, like big business of cheese in every supermarket in the country. And, sure, uh, it, we, we're only still a, a small farm, and but we're just trying to. Um, I just want to uh, try and get our cheese to get out there to all of the best places and be known for making really good um brie style cheese um but uh, the demand's there and um we're you know baron by god is only made at fen farm and it'll always be that way mm-hmm. um uh, y- you know it's it, it's it's nothing nothing in the size of um you know big companies with bringing in tankers of milk each day mm. so even though i mean we're just like really really small we're just going to be slightly bigger than we were sure but you're i suppose what you're doing is you're it's demand driven you know you're yeah. not you're, it's, and it's not demand coming from say your big supermarkets who want to buy all your stock it's places like neil's yard andy swiss yeah. scope you can's cheesemonger absolutely you know these real top-notch places that who their you know their customers want your product yeah and so you're sort of staying within that kind of upper echelon of, of, of the industry um, so yeah so that's that's going to be up and running in August and then 
Yeah. A few so, more hands coming in? Or? Yeah, well, I think we got to. We all work yeah. way too hard down here. Yeah, um, that's um, something else that Andy said, actually. What's that? He said, well, he says he prides himself on being one of the hardest working people in cheese, and he thinks you might work almost as hard as him. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Almost <laughs> yeah. as hard. I all believe right. the word. Don't quote me. I believe we, the word almost might, was used. We might have to have a, <laughs> have a, have a work-off, yeah. me and Andy. Will, <laughs> yeah. We can, uh, we can time ourselves. We can put the stopwatch on at the beginning on yeah. Monday morning and see where we end up have on Sunday said, evening. Yeah. No. It's Thursday. No, I'm still not slept. Come on. <laughs> Push on through. I know a few a few more nutcases like Andy and myself. Yeah. Um, I've got a friend who's a baker. Right. And he's this, uh, down in Woodbridge yeah. um, Cake Shop Bakery. It makes amazing um, well, pastries and things. And he's uh, he's no different to me. He just he loves it. Yeah. He just can't stop. Well, that's the key, isn't it, really? And I think that's why... Well, any of the people that I speak to on this podcast, the reason they do it is because they love it, really. Yeah. Bottom line, you know, obviously they want oh, a business yeah. that works, you but really so that they can carry on doing the thing that yeah. they love. Yeah, yeah, it's a drug. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you, you can't stop it. You know, you can't just want more and more of it. <laughs> well, that's the future. There we are. Listen, I'm going to say thank you before we walk into. Uh, XFM and, uh, and 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 buzz no, source, no, noisy um, yeah. cheese new cheese factory. Yeah. Alan Hayes and his gang. Yeah, uh, cool. So thanks very much for talking to me today, no Johnny. Prob, it's been Sam. a real pleasure to come down to Fen Farm. Yeah, but yeah, hopefully come back again in the future. Yeah, come cool. back and uh, see the new building. Yeah, cheers. I'd yeah. love to do that. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Brilliant. Thank you. That was Johnny Cricklemore there from Fen Farm Dairy, uh, creator of Baron By God. Um, loved speaking to Johnny, uh, really passionate guy, um, uh, and it really was a real treat to get out into the countryside under blue skies and just have a walk around his farm. We covered a lot of ground uh, and had, a, I think, a really enjoyable conversation. I hope you enjoyed it too. Um, next week, uh, well, I'll, let, I'll leave it. I'll leave it to you to find out. We might take a little break of perhaps two weeks this time, just to uh, catch up on a few other things. But I hope you've enjoyed the first three episodes of the Settlement Podcast. I've really enjoyed getting to meet these people, and, and it's a real privilege chatting to just some great craftspeople who, who pour their their passion, their love for what they do, and all their skill into making a really delicious product. There's plenty more to come, plenty more people to speak to. But in the meantime, if you want to know more about Seliman, go to seliman.co.uk or follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Seliman Sam. Cheers. Cheers.